0: Sustain 267. Welcome to the Sustain 267 podcast, where we host conversations on different issues affecting climate change in Botswana and the rest of Africa. I am your host, Batakilisiyite. With the push and advancing of solar energy and electric cars as means to address the climate crisis and reduce the demand and consumption of fossil fuels, I've had a lot of thoughts on what the implications and negative externalities would be for those producing cobalt. For context, cobalt is a mineral that is primarily used in rechargeable batteries. So you would find it in cell phones, such as the one you're probably listening to this podcast on, electric cars with their rechargeable batteries, and batteries used to store solar power. This mineral is... This mineral is mainly found in the Democratic Republic of Congo and has been tied to child labor and human labor exploitation. And with the boom for its demand, I couldn't help but wonder what the relationship between those three is. I've attached a very informative article on it and hoping that in the future we'll do a more in-depth episode on this. With that in mind, I came across an article titled Congo Kinshasa, DRC holds the key to addressing the global climate crisis by Janine Mabunda. And after the reading the article, I thought it only fitting that we have this conversation. Mrs. Janine Mabunda Lioko Mudiani was the first woman elected president of the National Assembly of the Democratic Republic of Congo. She has been a member of the Congolese parliament since 2011 and has also served as the personal representative of the president to combat sexual violence and child soldier recruitment. She facilitated a dialogue between communities, various institutional stakeholders, and victims themselves to better understand the issues and what must be done to address them. Mrs. Mabunda has served as the Minister of Portfolio and Public Enterprises in the DRC and the Executive Director of FPI, a public development bank. Mrs. Mabunda has received numerous awards and recognition for her work including but not limited to being listed by the June Afrique magazine among the 50 most influential African women been a recipient of the Better World Award from the Foundation of the Prince and Princess of Monaco, and awarded the Women of Influence Award from the Generation Femme d'Influence organization the article she wrote starts with a rather striking sentence and I quote the road to a clean energy future runs through the Democratic Republic of Congo to kick off our conversation i asked mrs mabunda to unpack the sentence a little further
1: congo is one of the basin for the future of green energy clean energy renewable energy and it's demonstrated by the powerful and the mightiness of its forest and the powerful and the mightiness of this river was running through all the congo but is then going in other direction of the african continent it's the second biggest river in africa And uh, also, Congo is uh, powerful and mighty in terms of the clean resources that uh, we are all speaking about today to go for the energetic transition when we speak about cobalt. So I find it a little bit sad that all this conversation about this new trend, this new vision about how to maintain our planet, how to save our planet, how to save our continents, basically, is done. But... But uh, without giving all the full price and the full recognition to what uh, Africa can contribute and especially what DRC can contribute in this conversation, I would have wished to see this conversation of uh, climate issue, protecting our planet through green, uh, green policy and uh, renewable energy. I would have wished to see... Uh, more involvement of Africa and more involvement of DSC. I would like the African to be part of the conversation because they are part of the solution. I would like DSC to be in the center of the conversation because uh, DSC combines a mix of all the tools needs for a green future of our planets and sometimes I have the impression that uh, we are just guests. Uh, While well, basically, in terms of uh, the resource and the tools we have as African and as DLC, we are, I would say, the landowner or the key to the, 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 the green future transition. And we are part of the solution, and we should not be treated as guests, allowed to sit on a table, but being like the owner of the table, because the cobalt resources in DLC, if you look at it by comparison to any place in the world, it's quite impressive. Definitely. On being
0: guests and on doing more, recently there was the US President Joe Biden's Leader Summit on Climate, and there were five African countries who were invited of the fourteen. One of them was the president exactly. of the DRC. Exactly.
1: And,
0: yeah. And one may say that Africa's participation in the summit reflects the con- continent's sensibility as an actor in the world's effort to reduce emissions and limit global warming to 1.5 degrees celsius but how much more must be done and by who
1: no i think it was uh, it was a good thing finally that usa has been out of this conversation under the, the president administration is now taking the ser- and taking the lead with other countries about this conversation. And it was also great that the president, the new president Biden has invited five African countries for their impact uh, on this conversation. So now there is many stakeholders and I understand that uh, it's very it's not easy and it's challenging to get the right balance, but uh, I will say that it's the kind of beginning we would like to see. President Mm Chikis has been very clear about what our country, what the region has, African Union head, can contribute for this goal of uh, zero emission. It should be said that Africa is only producing 7% of the, the, the polluting emission compared to the rest of the world. So why while, while we are the less polluting the less polluting continent it's not shown in the recognition and in the compensation that we can get from that and i think as african as basin of the future of the world through this green new green vision we should we should plead for more in a responsible manner because yes it's good to go and transition to green and clean energy But basically, you are speaking about people who are digging cobalt in the sea, for example, or in other countries, digging clean resources, whether it's lithium, whether it's cobalt, without having electricity in their own world. So it's an injustice. And to, to have that solved, I think we could combine the global goal of going for green energy and for this new era of clean energy and clean climate transition. But we should not sacrifice the development of African countries or DSC citizen or African citizens without taking into account the fact that they are at the origin of the solution. So that's all I think we should think. Then uh, how can we achieve that? I'm not pretending to have all the solutions, but there have been good experience, there have been think tanks who are sitting and thinking about that. And for example, if we speak about how can we help, we speak about cobalt, cobalt will be a key component in the uh, future car, electrical car production, maybe why don't we see this company setting up investment and production machine where the cobalt is based? Because uh, basically, if we have uh, investment in electrical car in our countries, I think it will spur the development, it will help the development of our countries. Also, people claim that, well, it's good to say now that we have to stop polluting while we are at different stage of for development. Industrialized countries are the most polluting, and they, they are at a mature level of their development while we are still emerging countries and that there is a huge infrastructure challenge, a huge infrastructure gap which needs to be addressed. So how can we address the climate ambition without sacrificing the basic energetic needs of the one who are more vulnerable ver- on the scale of this this motto or these topics.
0: We're going to come back to the issue of how it's affecting the people of Congo and what should be done, but something that i still want to ask is so according to the article the drc accounts for 70 percent of the world's cobalt this is the mineral that's vital to battery production which touches on the electric cars as you were just saying Mm -hmm. and congo holds the power in this conversation it holds the power for our future but why are we not acting like it what is stopping them from being to use, to use a, a, a less formal term, the head honcho, we are asking to be acknowledged, we are pleading to be acknowledged, but is this really the position we need to be in, considering that we hold, uh, well, the people of Congo hold the power, should they not be the ones dictating How to engage as compared to waiting to be engaged?
1: How to engage, I think it has started by the example you give. It's to be uh, present and to be vocally and technically present in places where the debate happens. Also, I will remind that this is not new. This is not new, this preconceived habit to get some people in the rest of the world Like the one who are just invited, where the flow and the impulse of the conversation have been set somewhere else. Basically, somewhere else is where the economic force, the economic power, the economic visibility, the economic influence is there. So uh, I don't think that we are sitting on our chairs and waiting to be invited. There are some initiatives, but we should go for a good balance because it's not easy, it's quite new. And the chain of stakeholders is very is very complex, whether it's NGOs, whether it's the miners themselves, whether it's the investors. You see today all the debates that if I take another example, if the debate that you have today on, on some mineral resources. And, and resource nationalism, which goes with that, it's relevant, but we have to make sure also that we are keeping and staying attractive for having balanced actors, stakeholders, investors who are attracted by Africa. Africa is not Africa enough. I mean, Africa has is uh, potential of attractiveness through its resources, whatever is the domain but also africa has the challenge of and the challenge and the risk going with all these resources yesterday i was participating to an atlantic council debate exactly on on the place of africa in the new conversation about renewable energy and it was agreed by all that if you look at the trend of investment especially on the lane of renewable energy we are still in a quite traditional approach where people will follow you whether there is less hurdles in terms of infrastructure, political stabilities, securities, and compared to the rest of the world, for whatever reason, Africa is still perceived as very risky, and this also impacts on the space that they will give us in the conversation. But you know, this goes the awareness grows gradually. It goes gradually, and if you look at what the EU has done with this, all. 30, 40 years back and creating OPEP and a cartel to better manage the interest, I think at least there is this awareness. And this awareness may be transformational in the coming days and probably in the course of the conversation. We, we have to find the right balance between being attractive based on our resources and not being repulsive. Because we are maybe not too radical, but one-sided in our views of the problem, which is complex. Yeah, we have to strike a balance where we're not, we're not being too
0: aggressive,
1: if I may use that word. It's not a question, I will not say a question of being aggressive or not aggressive, uh, but just being aware of all the interests and in the actors on the chain. Because for it to work, everybody has to find an interest. If it's too one-sided, whether it's on the one who are generating the cobalt or the renewable energy, uh, whether it's solar energy, whether it's hydro energy, to avoid speaking just about clean energy or green energy means only cobalt, I think whatever our, our resources, we are also to be aware and conscious about the fact that we have these infrastructure barriers, which makes sometimes the conversation sh- challenging for somebody who, who wants to come and invest and, and go alongside with us on the route. So with the
0: DRC having all of this cobalt, there's there seems to be a fear of there being a negative effect. So with the growing um, demand for cobalt, which according to the World Economic Forum's Global Battery alliance will quadruple by 2030 which is just in nine years and according to the world bank the rate of electrification in the drc is only at 80 percent of the total population
1: yes yes, you're, so, yes it's not far away you're, you're right it's less than 20 percent of electrification
0: Yeah, so less than 20% of electrification for the people of DRC, which is really, really low. But with this cobalt mining, can't we then look at that to feed the insufficient infrastructure that you mentioned just now, the access to capital and the debt relief, and extending this conversation, not just to extending the conversation beyond cobalt in the DRC, but just to mineral-rich countries. Can't those minerals be... A pathway to achieving
1: infrastructure and capital and debt relief. Uh, yes, the conversation about mineral. I think mineral is it's a gift, but it's also a sin because it's rare to have seen countries owning a lot of minerals to develop to develop in in, in proportion or to develop at the age of the mineral resource that they have for whatever reason and i don't condemn or judge but we just act that there are other countries we have not been mineral rich and we have better developed than the countries were are mineral rich because also to be mineral rich create maybe a laziness create also some 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 waste and uh, there is also a question of governance. But to get out of the conversation about mineral and, and go to the lack of infrastructure, the lack of energy infrastructure, let me give you some 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 ideas and thoughts about what is said. Basically in DSC it's true that the level of electrification is very low, even by African standard. African standard, I think in average they are around 50%, the rest of the world more around 80%. And DSC is less than 20%. Because the system we choose at the at, at the first time was a centralized system with a publicly owned company called Snell. And we are 84 million, 84 million Congolese with, let's say, 13 million, one tree million households who don't have access to electricity. They then account for 17 million of people, 84% of the national population. In urban area, 50% of these households do not have access to electricity. In rural areas where I used to travel a lot because I used to be uh, a defender against women and children violence by, by rebels and conflict, uh, I have told all the Congo and we have 26 provinces and, and in the rural area 90 percent of households do not have access to electricity when what is the challenge the challenge is at first we had this centralized system and the centralized system publicly owned has not been performed has not been performing and that's that's a reality if you look also at the distance between households and a grid a centralized grid it's estimated by by African development bank that, only 19 million of people, which is 22% of our population, live within 15 kilometers away from a grid, which makes it a real challenge and pictures about how it's difficult because the size of the DRC is when I am in Kinshasa, which, which is the head town, and I want to go to Eastern Congo near Uganda or Rwanda. It's like going from London to Moscow without having the same or uh, the, the the same facility or the same logistical channel. So so technically there is a, already a challenge by having chosen an, an option of a centralized system, which basically it's difficult in such a widespread country with just so much people. Financially also access to capital is a major barrier to make these investments, not only for the states not only for the Congo as a country, because investors have to come and they put some condition; they have their own assessment of the risk, but also for the beneficiary of this, of this electricity. While we, we are sure that if we, we, we fight this electricity poverty, we can even increase our level of growth rate, which means that the level of wealthiness of the population will increase also. So, so, so it's vital to address this clean energy ambition for, for our population. But the the access to capital is a little bit difficult. You mentioned the rate of electrification. I will mention to you the rate of the banking cover. There is less than 6% of the the, the people in Congo who have access to bank. And most of the things you can access to has to be paid by money, by system, by pay-as-you-go. So it means by bank or equivalent to bank. With the mobile phone, it can change. We can leapfrog the system. But this is also a a challenge, the financial access and also the credit access to the financial system, the financial tools and mechanisms. But on that, we can be positive because look at what Kenya has done with M-Pesa. M-Pesa is a, a leapfrog system, a leapfrog answer, which has been born in Africa to address the reality of Africa and the challenge of Africa as to Payment system. So I think that the financial barrier is there, but it can be addressed. And if we address access to electricity in pairing it with uh, credit tools of agile credit tools, then we can we can address this challenge of uh, 13 million households do not having not access to electricity then ability to pay also because access to to banking or to payment or to pay as you go payment is good but how much can they pay and here is the issue of the purchase power a study has also demonstrated that people can afford electricity but if we go on a monthly basis scheme they cannot go beyond 20 dollar on a monthly basis but then compared to that if I can give you some context and landscape, Congo is also the country where you have 30 million of phone subscribers, whether it's Vodacom or Orange or other minor a mobile phone companies. So if you look at the success of the mobile phone company these days, with 15 million subscribers in, in, in one company, it shows that the potential is there and that this challenge can be addressed. But I think we should get away from the Mineral scandal of Congo. We should be more creative, and we should uh, at least turn this mineral-rich scandal in something which is benefiting for more people. For more people, and that's why maybe we can be inspired by creative and innovative uh, financial instrument. Like why not? Do cobalt versus roads? That's an idea. Mining versus roads. Private sector come invest in clean energy or in clean and renewable resources, like the one we mentioned, and in exchange, they they build road, but in compliance with. They build roads or infrastructure needed by the host country in compliance with the program of this country. There are also other countries, and especially in Africa, where we, they are speaking about oil resources, for example, or diamond resources, like in Botswana. They have created sovereign funds, which means that because this, this resources is no long term and it can be finished, and, and, and yes, it can end up. Uh, they set up sovereign funds where a portion of this, the proceed of these mining activities or resource activities, uh, have been lodged in sovereign funds for the future generation. It's quite new. We have set up in the uh, sea uh, some public peristatal of this way, but it's very, it's very new. It has less than one year. So, but that can be ways to protect and and to secure the future in terms of enlarging, increasing the pace of. Uh, infrastructure investment and then there is innovative instrument also like green bonds and all these things which are recent also but which may be answer to uh, how do we save and keep how do we save and protect our future with clean and green infrastructure to be built and create versus the mineral or the mining destruction we are doing today so it's a challenge about digging today's clean resources, for building tomorrow' features with these resources being already used, so 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 the financial challenge is there too. So technical challenge and financial challenge, but it's feasible because there have been cases of country which were in the same situation, and as I said, use the leapfrog method and and succeeded. You see the United Arab Emirates how they do function today. They are impressive in the way they they can optimize and leverage the infrastructure they invest over there the initial resources, which used to be the all. So, so I think it's, it's feasible. There is a political will needed and there is a transparency and a clarity to have towards the beneficiary, if not the citizen in general.
0: When you speak of the positivity of minerals and you highlight my country, Botswana, I have, as a Botswana, I've felt the positive effect of our minerals and our diamonds. I'm proud to say I've felt it and I've I've benefited from them. But not to take away from the positive note that we are on. But this makes me also think: what is the reality of the cobalt business on the people of congo what has that translated to for the people of congo
1: uh you're right it, it's a good debate and uh, you 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 should also understand that uh, congo has already only, only unlocked is uh, mineral rich assets uh, through rule of the game and regulation only in 2002 in 2002 and uh, remember that uh, between i mean between 97 in 2001 congo was at war and it was a complicated situation so it's only when we we came back to some serenity in 2002 that we issue a mining code and the mining code at that time was aimed to attract to attract basic, basically investors in a country whose reputation was tarnished by all this conflict and by all this reputation of blue diamonds and all that stuff so the mining code of 2002 uh, asked Per that time, which was recommended by World Bank as per general best practice standard, was attractive. It was attractive, but with pace of all the joint venture down and with more knowledge about our mineral assets, it came at a conclusion after fifteen years of functioning that maybe it was time to review to review our approach. Because the first approach was really investors-oriented, which is good because it has attracted uh, some blue name in Congo about uh, mining investment, whether it's uh, from the United States, whether it's from uh, big um, global worldwide traders uh, from Geneva, whether it's Canadian, whether it's Australian. So so in terms of attracting investors and being an incentive, the 2002 code has worked well. Now, that was the first stage, the the first, I will say, the first phase uh, of this mining attraction policy. But almost 20 years after, people obviously are demanding more. They are demanding more because they also see how you can leverage in doing mining business in, in returning manners. And there is a conversation about what will be the best way to get a fair balance between what the investors is able to generate as revenues, and what is left, and what will what not what is left, but what will be left for the communities. So there have been some initiative, you know, the concept of corporate social responsibility. The South Africans have mixed that with their policy of integrating, involving local citizen in the process by the BEE, Black Entrepreneur, Black Entrepreneur Initiative. So there is many ways to get the community benefiting from, from the mining business, but it has still to be consolidated because obviously it's like an employee and his employer. The one whose employee will always find that he's unpaid. So like I said, uh, it's complex. It's not easy because mining is capital intensive there is a huge lot of loan waiting on on the mining project and sometimes it makes the return payback and the return to the community being very stretch and long and that's creating sometimes confusion or misunderstanding and and i think in these days this conversation is happening to see how we can best improve how we can best improve the return and the outcome for the communities For example, if we speak about Africa, we see how Ghana has worked with this Ashanti Gold project. You can speak about uh, a small community which is in South Africa, which has become a business case even out of Africa, which is called the Bafokeng community. And the Bafokeng community is this community who has been able to be very brilliant and, and smart about how to leverage on your mining resources. And I think the 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 concept of the Bafokan community about how a community, local citizen can leverage and can tap on their own resources to make a good business model, to make a good development model, a good governance model also, it's very appealing and interesting. So
0: the the case studies that you touch on, in I'll just I'll post links to those in the show notes for anyone who would like to read more up on them and then as we draw to the end of our conversation like you said the drc has had has gone through quite a bit of violence in its past you previously worked as the special representative to combat sexual violence and child soldier recruitment in the drc has there been a relationship between the cobalt mining and the the sexual violence and child soldier recruitment that maybe needs to be taken into consideration with the increase for demand for the cobalt.
1: I I think as a Congolese citizen, I cannot hide, and and especially now that there is this tension in Eastern Congo, and and we all pray and and, and vote for more peace and more security for our sisters and brothers of Eastern DSC. But it's true that it's a constant exercise, you know. Peace is not something which is like uh, a fixed resources that you can find in a in a shop, and you can buy and stay with that. It's 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 a collective exercise of a community, a collective exercise of a country, and that's all what we are about since 20 years. And it has also been recognized in international in international papers, in UN declaration, that at stake of this conflict in Eastern Congo. We always find some stories about mining diggers, about process, mining processing unit being placed at the frontiers with other countries in such a manner that it finally feeds the violence because it seems that it's a business and the business is more flourishing when things are disorganized by conflict. So conflict is also helping people to do unauthorized mining business and uh, measures have to be taken for that. That's why we have the the initiative for transparency in the extractive industry. We have an office for that in the which is trying basically to trace the way uh, mining is is mined or produced and uh, to make sure that it's conflict-free mining activities that we are dealing with. That's for Congo. You have also seen that for most of the diamond producers, they have been the Kimberley process, and Congo is very involved in the Kimberley process. This is two initiatives. Now, what shall we think if we see that some neighbourhood countries are sometimes exporting more gold, or more cobalt, or more coltan, tin. I think it's coltan, or more tin than their own homeland is producing. We should think that these neighboring countries are feeded by mining resources coming from DRC, and probably not on illegal manners. And I think that there with all these characteristics, with full reserve and respect for for diplomacy, there you can deduce that there is some smugglers from all parts of the the borders and that sometimes it can also feed the conflict that we see there because the more it's disorganized, the more you you can do unlawful mining activities. So, and we as Congolese, we have seen so much of our brothers dying, almost 6 million people die in DRC uh, from uh, the Eastern Congo war since 20 years. And I don't want to do bad comparison, but yes, we speak about genocide in some other neighborhood countries, but the people who died in Congo are 6 million. It's almost two-thirds of the full Belgian population, and it has been an underscored and un- under-told stories. And I think uh, we should give justice to all these people who died from this war related to mining or, or, or resource-led issues. So yes, I think that violence in Congo is linked, but not only, but it's, it's linked mainly to the access of some fraudulent resources and that we should work all work on that because Congo cannot do peace alone. Congo can do peace with all the people involved at his borders on these issues. And I will not give justice to the people of Congo who died, 6 million, if I don't stress that. There is no animosity, there is no hostility, but it's just paying tribute to 6 million people who died. And behind these this 6 million, there is also a lot of women who have been raped, They've been raped because there were conflict, they've been raped because there were competition and race about access to illegal mining resources. No, it's not all the mining companies and I don't want to be misunderstood. Usually, multinational companies are very strict on their mining origin and, and, and the, mining, the, the clean mining. We are speaking about small, and agile and lawful groups who are doing semi-industrial mining in in conflict zone. That's a reality. And I think that North Kivu, South Kivu did pay a great, great, great price for this mining-led conflict, whether it's internal, whether it's uh, linked with the frontiers and the borders, whatever and whoever is behind that. I think they paid a, a huge price. They paid a huge price, not only the people of Congo, but the soldiers of Congo, because there is now 20 years that we are trying to tackle that issue. And I do hope that in the coming years, it will be a story which is going to be behind us. Indeed, Congo
0: cannot do peace alone and it cannot be sacrificed for the benefit of the rest of the world. So with the increased demand of cobalt from DRC, which will be serving us as the rest of the world, including me in Botswana and the rest of Africans and people off the continent, what should we do as individuals benefiting from that mineral what should we do as individuals what should we do as africans in the region and what should we do globally how can we all play a part in ensuring that we're not sacrificing the people of congo and we're contributing towards the growth the economic growth of congo considering what it's doing for the rest of the world
1: i think it's both sides because you know as i said I, i i Usually one to, to look at by two lenses, the lenses of the one who invest, the lenses of the one who benefit and the lenses of the public authorities. I think everybody has to play a role in the region. At first, make sure in the region that uh, yes, this cobalt and this gold and this tin and this lithium that we are using are not coming from conflict zone. And I think there is already a, a huge awareness of that. Then two, I think Congo cannot do peace alone. And we have all followed the statement done by some high-level officials now in Paris for the uh, conversation about the huge in-depthness of the African countries under the leadership of the French president. There have been conversation about Congo, and uh, some leaders of the African continents have expressed their opinion about that. I think some of the conversation, they serve to be more balanced and to be more respectful of what has been the suffering of the people of Congo. And the way to do that is the international community and the African region to take people accountable of any blood and any debt which is happening in Congo for reason of securing my own borders, which is not Congolese borders, or securing my source of supply for mining, or for cobalt, or for green and renewable energy. And really, like I said, there is no hostility But I've seen the reality. I've been a special representative to fight against sexual violence. And uh, if you look at mining or how cobalt or or how bad race about controlling resources in a country which is not yours, out of your borders, as turned down in the suffering of the Congolese people, I think I should be their voice if I can. And, And I will ask. Well, there is this race about cobalt, why not having the end user, which is basically the one which is the electrical car producers, why don't we have these people investing directly where the source of the resource is, instead of going to a lot of traders who finally are not taking advantage, but not all the traders, but some traders are not paying that much attention to the also negative consequences that a non-well organized uh, supplying chain can can be in terms of pain and, and, and suffering for the citizen of the host country. I have not an answer, I have not a full solution. I think this is part of a broader conversation that we should have with all the stakeholders. But there is no sense for Congo having Dr. Mukwege as a Nobel Prize, a Peace Nobel Prize in DLC, if exploiting cobalt or tin or copper in Congo means danger for our population of Eastern Congo. I think the world can do better. The world can raise its voice higher. And Congo should not be balanced to what has been the security history of anybody in the Great Lake region? Because we are not responsible for what has happened in the Great Lake region in the past. And today, 20 years after, it's the people of Congo who are suffering for their hospitality because we opened the doors and we opened the frontiers at a certain period of time to support, to help, to be in solidarity with some of the other African citizens who were at danger at that time. And today, we are in this position of being in difficult situation in Eastern Congo. And I think that it's a conversation that where anybody can play a part. The regional organization can play a part and they do a lot. I think SADC is doing a lot. I think the organization of Great Lake Region is doing a lot, but they are concerned, so we should all do more. And I think when people speak and we people try to find... Common lanes, it's better. Also, more fanatic and more interested about African solution made for African in defending the value of democracy, right of expression, good governance, protection of women and children. I think we can get this conversation with this value embedded in any ideas and policy we can set up on the table. Then finally, I think, like I said, The end user can play a role, you know, if people decide that uh, I will not fund this country because uh, they are suspected to do this and that in the ESE, or I will raise my voice for more good governance or democracy in the region, because the situation of some countries lately raised question about how do we see the democracy and democracy is not only political democracy; it's also economic democracy. It has been shown that if you've got a right political democracy system, it will generate naturally, by natural flow, a right economic democracy uh, system. And that's where the people wait for about us. They want to see the democratic, the political democracy, to join the economic democracy. And economic democracy is the right to get access to. Basic needs like, yes, electricity, and electricity, whether it's uh, uh, with any resources, whether it's solar, whether it's any other mineral-related resources producing energy. So, so yes, I think we can all uh, play our part, and to play our part more pleading, and uh, sometimes, if if needed, some pressures, so that we learn to respect each other, and also we learn to respect the one who are at the origin of these resources, which apparently may be likely to create some tension or conflict on wars. And I think Africa has succeeded in getting away from uh, what is tension, this wars and violence. So we should just uh, keep on building that lane of uh, finding solution by, by deep instead uh, of uh, using guns thank you so much
0: before that firstly thank you for joining me in this conversation and thank you for those solutions that when we share hopefully will then um, some of them will be upholded by the people who get to listen to the podcast
1: thank you too and i hope really that it will go a long way because uh, African has shown in the recent past that uh, they can also give lessons to the rest of the world. And uh, we've got the value, we've got the culture, we've got our heritage, and we should leverage more on that. Look at what has happened the COVID-19. It's a true example about how Africa can be strong when they want. I think
0: that's also something I'm I'm learning from doing the podcast, just the number of solutions that are across the continent, the amazing stories that are happening and maybe just not... At the front of the conversation. So I think that's my favorite thing about having these conversations
1: for the podcast. Yes. Thank you so much. And uh, I wish you all the best.
0: Indeed, Africa can give a lesson to the rest of the world. And although we may face a number of challenges, we also hold numerous solutions. As we wrap up this episode, I'd like to encourage you, as you come across different conversations and different articles on climate action, to interrogate further and ask yourself what this will mean, not only for the world, but specifically for Africa. And while in the spirit of amplifying African solutions, Please subscribe and rate the Sustain267 podcast on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for new listeners to find it. And while you are there, look for other African podcasts that share solutions and the gifts and knowledge of Africa. If you feel we as Sustain267 are contributing towards solutions for Africa, especially within climate and environment, please consider becoming a patron and supporting the production of the podcast. The link is in the show description. I am the host of Sustain267 podcast but the gilisidze let's connect on social media like our facebook page sustain 267 and follow us on twitter and instagram at sustain 267 take care
1: sustain 267